Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is our book club episode for our August book club pick, Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo. But first, let's get into some highs and lows. Olivia, you have been on vacation. We recorded two episodes back to back. I haven't talked to you in, I don't know, like 10 days or two weeks. What is your high? What's new in your life? I I feel like my life has just been kind of like bouncing around and living out of various like gigantic size bags of clothing that are not organized at all. Because we live a little bit further now, we have to like split up the drive if we're going down to Florida and then we had the dog. So anyway, um, I'm home now. I'm very happy to be home. I enjoyed getting away for a little bit, but it's just nice to be back um, in like 65 degree temperatures. It's lovely. Wait, most important question. How was your post-vacation catch-up day? It was great. I actually have had kind of like a post-vacation catch-up week, sort of, <laughs> because what a dream. I, basically, I basically had to work through most of my vacation, unfortunately, just the way that certain deadlines lined up, which is kind of my low. But um, anyway, I've had more of a lull now that I've gone back, of course, which isn't ideal. Ideally, it would have worked the opposite way. But anyway, I have just been enjoying taking it a little bit easier since I've been back, which has been nice. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Uh, what's your high? My high is that we are currently in my season. It is a Virgo season. My birthday is <laughs> September 1st. I feel really productive. I have been home all month. I've been working on my book. I made a huge change to my book, too, and I'm feeling really positive. I got a new haircut. I looks very have, good, like, by the thank way. Thank you. Thank you. I have like lots of new routines. Like I am just feeling, I think it's, I think it's like back to school energy more than like, I believe in astrology energy, but I am just mm-hmm. feeling who I'm feeling good. I love that. I I'm kind of right there with you. Like it is that like new season cusp of the new season sort of time. Yeah. I think it's I like, like that. I think it's especially monumental for me because my birthday coincides with back to school. So it just feels like a full like reset rebirth every year when we get to September. I love that. Yeah. What's your low? My low is that we are officially inside of one month from my book coming out. It comes out September 26th. Please pre-order it if you have been saying that you're going to and haven't or request it from your local library. This has gone by so fast. I can't believe it's It's gone by so fast. (gasps) I would sum up my feelings about it as that I am a pit of anxiety. Like I'm just a, a walking, talking pit of anxiety. And I feel like every time I talk about it to people in my real life, and I like love and appreciate these people, everyone's like, well, try to enjoy it. And I'm like, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> okay. Well, do you think that will, that feeling will kind of fade when it's actually released? Or do you think it'll be like another sort of pit of anxiety, but a different pit? You know, I don't know. So I'm in this Slack group for 2023 debut authors. It has like 600 people in it. And I'm like a lurker. I'm not um, super active. But a lot of people say that they felt really almost like let down after their book came out. Like it was an anticlimax in terms of, you know, on launch day, Mm -hmm. people who pre-ordered are getting it. But like you're not getting feedback quickly and like 
you know, people might buy it, but they're not reading it right away. So I don't know what to expect. Do you think you'll have like, I kind of always got very um, sad after major holidays, like Christmas, Mm. like I'd looked forward to it all year and then it would be over and I get this feeling of like, I built this up in my brain and now it's over and I have to wait a year. Like, do you think you'll experience maybe any of that? Or do you think it'll just be like a series of kind of like new highs? Cause there's going to be new people reading your book and you can walk into a store and see it and all of that. I don't know what to expect. I I've never experienced that like post holiday sadness, but I could see that. I could see that coming for me. I think that I'm like really excited to a bunch of out of town friends are coming for, um, an event I'm doing in New York City, which I don't know. I think it'll be announced when this episode comes out. If not, like, stay tuned to my Instagram. And so I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to celebrate it with people and with, you know, people who listen to the podcast and people who followed me on Instagram through this whole thing. So I'm really excited for that. And I feel like that will be, like, a climax of, like, being in a room of people who are excited about it as opposed to, like, being at my dining room table in a cesspool of anxiety. (laughs) I, I think that'll be energizing. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But yeah, I'm I'm very, very anxious about it. Hang in there. Thank you. What is your low? I kind of already touched on this, but I just, just the way the work deadlines worked out, I just had to work most of every day of my vacation that I planned to really unplug on. So it was still lovely and I'm still really grateful that I got time to see my friends and time to spend with Jake, but it was just kind of like another thing that I had planned that did not go according to plan. But you know what? I, I enjoyed the work that I did ultimately and I felt like it was time well spent. So, so there's that. Well, I'm glad you're, you have a good attitude, but I'm sad that you didn't get to enjoy it as much as you hoped. And I was also very interested to get your newsletter this morning about travel, where you alluded that maybe your, um, what's the abbreviation? EPM. EPM has changed. I'm excited to oh. get the, the subscriber, <laughs> the subscriber version to hear more. Yeah, I mean... Like, okay, so two things. One, I think it was so extremely hot some days that, like, it Mm. made it hard for me to enjoy it. And the other thing is, like, I was working most of the time. So I'm sure that kind of, like, informed how I felt about things. But I do think, like, the food has gotten just slightly worse. And the service seemed to be not as good as usual. I mean, I would still wholeheartedly recommend you go if you're looking for an all-inclusive. But... Anyway, there's a lot of nuance. So if you're interested, feel free to check out my Substack. But it's it was still a wonderful time. And um, anytime I'm just able to sit on a beach and read, even for just a couple hours, is just good. Well, let's take an ad break before we get into this book club. So today we want to tell you about a podcast that we're obsessed with and think you'll love too, and that's Terrible Reading Club. So if you love to read, which I'm pretty sure you do because you're listening to a book club episode right now, and or you've been through some stuff, the Terrible Reading Club is perfect for you. So the podcast is hosted by past podcast guest Nora McInerney, who is also the host of Terrible Thanks for Asking, and includes book recs from Nora and author friends and interviews with authors like John Green and Anne Lamott. 
We've had Nora on the podcast before, if her name sounds familiar to you, and I've personally loved her books, Bad Vibes Only, The Hot Young Widows Club, and It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Cool Too. No one talks or writes about vulnerability, grief, and the ups and downs of life with as much humor or relatability as Nora. She's so incredibly talented and someone I look up to so much as a writer and a human being in general. But even if this wasn't hosted by Nora, as someone who personally loves any forum that puts two writers in conversation, this podcast would be right up my alley. New episodes drop twice a month, but they also have a back catalog of episodes to binge now. You can find The Terrible Reading Club anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go check it out. Again, that's The Terrible Reading Club hosted by Nora McInerney. So let's talk about this book. <laughs> yes. Why don't you read us this summary that you you concocted? Yes, I will do that. Concocted because this book is a little magical, and I, I'm picturing you stirring up this uh, this <laughs> summary over a cauldron. Yes. So Floor comes from a magical family. Her sisters have various gifts. One sister can always tell when someone is lying. Another has a gift for healing, and a third has a talent for dance that almost seems otherworldly. Floor, however, has a gift that can be a bit more ominous. She knows when people will die. So when she decides to hold a living wake for herself, but refuses to tell her family what exactly she has foreseen, the whole family is understandably pretty worried. Told from the perspectives of Flora's sisters, daughter, and her niece, family lore is all about how family and history informs our own lives and decisions in the present day. So I'm going to just start out by saying that this was my book club pick, and I have never read Elizabeth Acevedo's work before. However, I've heard it widely recommended by multiple people I trust. And so I chose this book without having read it in its entirety for book club. There were many parts of it that I found interesting and I think provide a lot of things to talk about. But anyway, uh, it it challenged me a bit. I'll say that. Um, Becca, what did you think about this book as someone who has read Elizabeth Acevedo's other books? Well, it's very different than her other books. So her her other um, three or maybe four books are all YA. And so they're, they're very different. And they're also much more plot-driven versus this is, is kind of vignette. So this felt very, very different. There's, I think the magic is something that like links them together, but feeling and vibe-wise, like totally different. So I agree with you that I was challenged by this book. However, I'm in a phase right now where my my focus is just shot as I get closer to my own book's release and I'm having trouble focusing on reading in general and I'm I'm feeling more picky than usual. So, I don't know that I'm the best judge. And I I will say I was I was struggling with this book for the first half and then I switched to the audio version of it. I was going to talk to you about this, actually. So I'm really curious what you're going to say next. Because I'm drowning in Audible credits because I have a subscription because sometimes, when, especially when we do a book club for a book I've read in the past, I'll listen to the audio version to like catch up and I'll either skip around or I'll put it on really fast speed just to like remind myself before we talk about it. And um, 
audible credits are like use it or lose it so i'm like i have 12 so i'm like oh gosh i can't cancel i think i probably have like 95 or something you can only have 12 (laughs) or they take them away from you oh then i definitely have 12 so anyway i um i was like look you're you're drowning in audible credits like just try this on audio and that was such a huge switch for me because i mean first of all elizabeth acevedo partially narrates it i think there's three narrators and it's really well narrated, but I, I think, and we talked about this when we were like plugging the book. So Elizabeth Acevedo wanted to be a rapper when she was a teenager and like maybe in, in her college years. And she really comes to writing from a poetic place. And I know this because we had her on the podcast for her book, Clap When You Land, back in 2020. So she she talked to us all about that if you want to hear about it. And so having it read to me, like there was such like a lyrical quality to the writing that like just totally switched it for me and made me enjoy it so much more. Like it really does feel like kind of like an oral history, like something that like is meant to be read aloud. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I, when I was researching the outline for this episode, I watched this interview with her and another author at, I think it was like for DC Public Libraries or something. And it's like an hour long. And she starts by reading a portion of the book. And immediately I was like, I I should have listened to this. It just completely changed how I experienced the book. But hearing her talk about it, hearing her read it, even the way she like pronounces the name of Floor, which I could never do correctly. Like it just like exactly like you said, it's almost like it should be spoken. Yeah. Instead of in like a novel form, I guess. Yeah. I also, the version I was reading was the advanced reader's copy. And sometimes in an advanced reader's copy up front, there's like either a letter from the author or a letter from the editor talking about the book. And I thought that the note up front that she wrote was really made me appreciate the book so much more because she talked a lot about the areas of her own life that she borrowed from. So she was talking about how when she was writing this or right before she was writing this, she was struggling with infertility and had the same fibroid surgery that Ona has. She was talking about how Flor and her sisters are inspired by her mom's family. She was talking about how, I can't remember if it was a cousin or a friend also had like talked about having an alpha vagina. Like there was a lot of things that were borrowed from her life and and kind of what she was going through right then. And I kind of love the idea of like book as time capsule for where a person is in their life. Like that, that made me connect with it so much more thinking about what it meant to her and how it was personal to her in a way that without that letter, I don't think I would have intuited. Yeah, that's part of why I liked the interview as well, which, by the way, obviously you've interviewed her before. But like, what an engaging, warm, funny person. Like, I just was like enamored with her energy as <laughs> as a human. It was really just a cool thing to watch. Totally. I don't know if it's a chicken or the egg thing, but she was an eighth grade English teacher. And I feel like keeping eighth graders attentions, you have to be so engaging. So I don't know if some of it comes from that or if she was just like always naturally this way. And so it made her like a fantastic eighth grade English teacher. Yeah, Um, I'm sure she was amazing either way. Right. So you said that this is a little less plot driven than her YA novels, which in the interview I watched, she also talks about that. And she says that like the characters are really what's driving this. Um, 
Were there any other ways that it stood out to you as different, either in good or bad ways? Um, I mean, definitely like the maturity level because her right. other books are young adult. And it seems like the kind of young adult that isn't like Twilight is actually read by adults. But like, I, I really do feel like it is meant for teens as well. So mm-hmm. I've read two of them with The Fire on High, which I really, really loved, which is about a teen mom who dreams of becoming a chef. And there's kind of like a magic quality imbued in her food. And then the other one, which we did for book club for about on paper, which you can listen to, um, is clap when you land, which was her 2020 book, which is about a teenage girl who lives in New York city and is also Dominican. And, um, her father dies. And when she goes back to the Dominican Republic after he dies, she finds out that he had a secret family. So all of her books, I feel like deal with more serious themes, but they were definitely more plot driven. And like in this one, you know, you texted me at one point and you were like, I did not see a lactation porn plot line coming. Like, you know, they were like age level appropriate, even if they were, you know, like in with the fire on high, it's about a teen mom. So like there obviously is discussion of like sexual relationships Mm -hmm. with teens, but this one definitely felt like more mature. And then the other thing that they have in common is that like, I think all of her books have like a common thread of Dominican heritage, Dominican characters, whether they live in the Dominican Republic presently or whether they live in the United States. And so like, that's definitely a commonality. And I think the writing, like speaking to the like lyrical quality to her writing, like I think that's common as well. Mm -hmm. Like it almost feels like spoken word poetry. Yeah. It's, it's very unique and like impressive and there would be times where I was reading and I was like, I'm, I don't know if this, if I'm, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I'm loving this, but like, I appreciated what she was doing like a lot. And I was like, I could never do this. Like, this is such a unique talent. And then hearing her say it out loud, it just like all clicked for me. Yeah. What genre would you consider this book? Because I kind of struggle with that too. And I think, (laughs) I think maybe that's why I was like a little bit lost, I guess. I don't know if this is a technical genre, but, like, I guess I kind of consider this, like, a complicated family drama. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'm putting it with things like The Nest or uh, what's the Claire Lombardo book? It reminded me of Black Cake a lot in certain ways. Oh, The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo. Like, it it kind of feels like it's in that Mm -hmm. lane to me. I can see what you mean about Black Cake, especially with, like, the intergenerational and also the story of coming from one place and then like living one's later years in another country. I can see that. Apparently it was like in its earliest conception, this with this was supposed to be a short story collection, which made a lot of sense to me in retrospect. Yeah. And I was like, Oh yes. I'm like, I, maybe that, that would have, if it was more clear cut that way, I would have enjoyed it more. But, um, but yeah, that made sense to me. I, to be clear, I did really enjoy it. I enjoyed it both. I feel like it was such a great lens into another culture and another part of New York even that I am I have not experienced directly. Mm-hmm. I also felt like the writing as a writer, like putting on my writer brain hat, like I felt like just like the details she chose and the way the sentences were constructed, like there was something like really educational about reading it too, but mm-hmm. it didn't, it wasn't a page turner for me. Right. And yeah. Given, well, first of all, my current, my reading tastes in general is like 
towards the faster paced stuff in general. And then also just like where my attention span is right now. Like I enjoyed it, but I would not call it fast paced. I also will say that like there were parts that made me uncomfortable, which is maybe why I didn't like connect with it in the way I would with something else. Like what, Um, for example? Well, I mean, the lactation porn thing was like the first time it was mentioned, I was like, okay. And then it came up again. And I was like, okay, is this like a through line? I I don't know what to make of that. And then I think the alpha vagina thing, which I hope there's someone out there listening to this that didn't read the book and is now just like very intrigued. But it threw me a little bit because it, it wasn't expected. And like it was so literal, I guess, and graphic in certain parts. But I really kept thinking about the fact that in the description of it, she said like, oh, if a guy can have big dick energy, then like, why can't I have this? And that really stuck with me, even though like it it made me uncomfortable. I was like, why is that? Like, yeah, there is this stigma with talking about women's bodies. And of course, this is like a very like being proud (laughs) of your body or exactly like elevating that part of your body. Yeah. Like the phrase thinking with your dick is a thing, but it like. Right. Why can't one think with one's vagina? <laughs> exactly. And like it made me uncomfortable in the moment. But then I was like, hmm, why is that? So I appreciated that part of it, even if like it made me a little less like in love with the book in the moment, if that makes sense. Well, tell me. So there are six point of view characters in this book. Was there a certain character that you were most interested in or you felt like you connected with the most or like a certain power? <sighs> I think, I mean, not specifically, but I think it was Pastora who had the ability to, like, basically tell when someone was telling the truth or not, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And I kind of, like, half relate to that because I do think that, like, I can usually tell when someone is feeling a certain type of way (laughs) about something. But at the same time, like, sometimes I'm so anxious that I can't. (laughs) Like, <laughs> that I can't trust my um, interpretation of something. So kind of yes and no. Uh, what about you? So the two characters that I enjoyed uh, reading their points of view the most are maybe not the most central. So I really enjoyed Mati's perspective, the oldest sister, who was the mm-hmm. one who her power was like her enchanting dancing. Yeah, um, I did love that plot line. Yeah, I, I think I was really interested in it because of how she was introduced in in that you know right away that her husband is kind of a scoundrel and is cheating on her. And then she is in her 70s, but meets this like hot younger guy at a dance class. And so I was very immediately invested in what's going to happen there. So I was really interested in hers. And I was I got more interested as we went when we found out that she like didn't have her period and was kind of like the spinster sister who was kept at home for the longest because they thought that she wasn't able to bear children or get married. And and she left the house, it, it sounds like, when she was maybe in her late 20s, like I want to say 29. So I thought that was also really interesting. And also just like how she met her her husband in this like salsa dance competition. So I thought that that was really interesting. Um, And then I also thought it was really, I thought Camila's perspective, the youngest sister, was really interesting as well. And I thought it was so interesting because she was almost the opposite of the other sisters in some ways, both in terms of her, her experience with her own mother and her experience being the youngest where most of her sisters were out of the house. And so 
her memories of things and the way she experienced a lot of the events were counter. And I think that's really interesting playing with memory and, and kind of like, what is the truth? Like how, mm-hmm. like different people can experience the same things different ways. Yeah. Um, and then also it seemed like she came to New York and was like the bougie sister who, you know, was the first to get an Alexa and who had like a nicer apartment. And I, I thought it was so interesting to read her, her thoughts on her sisters. Like, I always think Mm -hmm. it's really interesting in a book where you get to like hear you're in, for instance, Floor's head, and then you get to hear what everyone else thinks about Floor. And so I was really interested in Camila's perspective just because it seemed the most different. Yeah. I apparently Elizabeth, Elizabeth Acevedo's mom has nine sisters, which is partially what inspired the story. And my mom has seven sisters. So I've always sort of witnessed those different relationships and like the ebbs and flows of, of talking and not talking and disagreements. And I don't know, we just don't talk. And like, it was very like interesting from that perspective to see, like, like you said, like one sister could have one experience. The other could have the total opposite, but like based on the same thing sort of, or coming from the same place. Um, so it made me think about all of that. And it felt from what I have observed of many sisters, it felt very true to that for sure. Uh, did you consider the magic like literal? Because one of the things I th- found kind of fascinating about this was like some of the magic was like kind of more abstract, like dancing. And then the other magic was like very specific and kind of out there, like the alpha vagina. <laughs> and the other one was kind of like more like traditional fantasy magic. Like you can predict when someone dies or know when someone is lying. So how did you make sense of all of that? I guess I felt like some of it was literal in terms of Floor having these dreams where her teeth crumbled and then a name came to her of who was going to die. And it didn't seem like it was contradicted in any way where it didn't seem like it was like, oh, well, she has these dreams and one out of five come true. It seemed like everyone kind of agreed, no matter what they thought of her wake, that they like believed in this power. And so hers, I did think of as like, pretty literal but then the other ones like for instance yadi who inherited her grandmother's love of lime and like made this delicious food that everyone wanted it kind of more felt to me like you grew up in this family where certain people had these powers and so you were looking to attribute something about yourself to a power as well where like Mm -hmm. that one didn't feel quite as literal to me where I was like, is that what it is? Or are you just a great cook or the same with the dancing? And so I did feel like, and you know, also with like Pastora who, um, her power is that she can tell when somebody's lying. It's like, or do you just have like a really strong connection with your intuition? Like, it's like, what is, what is and is not a power. And I, I liked that it was kind of gray, but I, I definitely felt like floors was the most literal. And then I felt like the others were, kind of on a spectrum of this might actually be a power or this might be something that you've just like told this story to yourself and it is true for you because this is how you process life yeah what about it you? also might be i 
I'm not, I kind of agree with you. I think that like it also might be a cultural thing because in the interview with Elizabeth Acevedo, she says like growing up and being Dominican, like magic was sort of just like baked into every day. And like in my experience of life, that is not, <laughs> that is not something that ever happened. Like my mom, the example she uses in the interview is her mom would have a dream and be like, Oh, we're playing the lottery tomorrow. Like that would, <laughs> that would never happen in my house. Um, but I do really like, this idea of like, I don't know, being able to define things as magic because in a way, like it is kind of magical. The fact that someone is just going to have like a natural gift for cooking or for like intuiting other people's feelings or dancing. Like not everyone has those things, no matter how much you practice. So like that is, there is kind of like a supernatural aspect to that, that that maybe life will be more fun if we like leaned into yeah. I don't know. No, I like that. If you had to choose one of the powers, just I'm going to throw it out there. You had to choose one. And why would it be the alpha vagina? No, no it wouldn't be. I. That's a good question, because like I feel like the knowing when somebody's telling the truth one is maybe the most useful, but it also probably comes with the most complications of like not necessarily like always knowing when somebody's lying to you sounds very stressful. I feel like I might go with Camila's power that she knows how to make the right tincture to heal anything. Mm-hmm. What would you pick? That's a good one. I think if I was leaning more practical, I'd do that one. But I I love the idea of being able to dance. Like being able to dance or sing, I think would be so cool. Just to like oh, yeah. whip that out at a party. Oh, yeah. Have everyone look at you. Even though I don't really like everyone looking at me, but... Just for a day, it would be fun to experience. Well, you would be that. so beautiful doing it that you would have no yeah. self consciousness because you would be a gorgeous dancer, which is something I cannot relate to as a flaily. But it would literally have to be magic. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we continue our discussion, let's take a quick ad break. Okay. So you know how I can turn anything into a competition? Well, guess what? (laughs) So I went to the hairdresser uh, last week, and I had such a major win because my hairdresser remarked how healthy and shiny my hair was. And I was just like basically the equivalent of the hard eyes emoji. And it was all thanks to my custom made-to-order hair care from Pros. Here's how it works. You take their in-depth hair quiz, which asks you about everything from your hair goals and styling routine to your exercise routine and zip code so they can take into account environmental factors too. They analyze over 85 factors to come up with a completely custom formula to address your needs. So what I get and what Becca gets and what you get will all be completely different and customized to our unique hair type and goals. And one of my favorite things about pros is that every time you reorder, you get to use the review and refine feature and tell them how they did so they can tweak the formula. And I also really think this is why my hair has never gotten used to the product, even after using it for three plus years, because with other brands, I feel like it's great for six months and then it stops working as well. And that has not been my experience with pros. And you don't have to take our word for it. Trying pros is completely risk-free. If you're not positive pros is the best hair care you've tried, they'll take the products back, no questions asked. Custom made-to-order hair care from pros has your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. 
Go to pros.com slash BOP. That's P-R-O-S-E.com slash BOP for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. Okay, so we talked about what power we would most want. What do you think would be the worst one to have? I think, gosh, it's definitely between knowing when people are lying and knowing when people will die. Oh, because I think for sure it's knowing when people will die because either you ha- you kind of have two choices. Like you have to either tell them, which would be horrific, or right. you just have to keep that information to yourself and like watch it happen. Oh, gosh. I know, but. I also imagine like there's some situations where it might feel rewarding if you could be like you have one day left with this person, um, you know, use it how you want. But (laughs) if somebody came up to me and was like, you're dying tomorrow, I would be so freaked out that like, well, well, no, but like maybe someone would tell your friend and they could like tell you something. Of course, it's like a selfish thing at that point, but. My thing is with the lying thing, the burden is like entirely on you all mm. the time. And like I thought the part where she wrote about how Pastora would not ask questions because she didn't want to know the answers, like that felt very real to me and made me think a lot about like the dynamics of that power and how complicated yep. it would be. Because yep. you can control it, but it ultimately would isolate you from people. Yep. Which is really sad. I I was going to say it would make you so sad to know that people close to you were lying. Yes. Yes. And then like, yeah. And there's so many reasons why people lie. And gosh, I don't know. Those are definitely the worst. I I wanted to talk about how having a big family is portrayed. And, you know, your mom is one of how many? Eleven. Your mom is one of 11 and specifically how sisterhood is portrayed. I'm an only child. I have like a very small family slash like not a lot of family. Um, And I don't know if I have a question, but it did make me kind of slightly jealous. But, you know, of course, there were like downsides, too. But I'm curious, like, are there dynamics in your mom's family? Like, are there, you know, certain sisters who have this like interconnectedness of like Flora and Pastora who are like too thick as thieves? Like, I don't know, like. Just make me more jealous. I want to hear about (laughs) having such a big family. I mean, it's, there are just like a lot of dynamics at play at all times. And in addition to that, there is years and years and years and years of history. Not necessarily all of that history is getting, you know, talked about. So it just kind of all builds, I think. I would best describe it as like, I have always wanted to, interview my my mom's siblings and the larger family all the cousins for a podcast I thought it would be very interesting given their history and like they're they're all different ages and interpretations of how things went and why things relationships either fell apart or grew together or whatever and I told my mom this and she was like okay but just be prepared for everyone to hate you (laughs) I think there's there's a sort of like Specificity to be fair, I would, big... I would listen to that, like, especially if it was pinned around a specific event, like if it was like the family reunion where oh everyone <laughs> stopped talking and like just hearing everyone's side of that. Oh, my God, I would eat that up. It's like normal gossip, I, kind of. It's I mean, there's so much. There's just so much and so much I have no idea about. But just watching it from the outside, like, first of all, I've always loved having a ton of cousins and stuff. I think it's a really special thing. But it is like 
painful at times, like just the dynamics and the jealousy and like because certain people are naturally closer. So like I said, I think the book spoke very well to that. I do want to do the podcast regardless of whether people would hate me or not. So maybe one day um, I will I will put it out there into the universe. Another thing that I thought about the family dynamics in this book was so interesting was how the older generation informed the younger generation. And I feel like there's probably some very like smart argument to be made about generational trauma that like, I'm not, I'm not quite getting there from my read. Like, I feel like I would feel like an idiot trying to make this, but like even just floor was really indecisive in that. Like she didn't know what she wanted to wear the week. She like needed everyone's opinion on everything. And then like her daughter, Ona was so decisive and kind of like went the other direction. And I just, I thought it was really interesting kind of seeing the seeing both how people were similar and then how they were different that's a stupid observation but it it's no I no. did think it was interesting I agree I agree I liked that as well what do you think of the idea of a living wake in general I inadvertently read the celebrants by Stephen Rowley right before I read this book like literally oh, back to back Funny. <laughs> and um, for those that don't know, The Celebrants is about this group of friends who, whenever they're going through, whenever any one of them is going through like a tough moment in their life, they can sort of choose to call for a living funeral where they're reminded of how loved they are and how special they are. So very different than family lore, but also sort of similar, but had me thinking a lot about the concept of living wake. So back to my original question, Becca. What do you think of this idea? Would you ever want this? Does it appeal to you? Not really. I, I feel like entangled in the idea of a living wake is needing to contemplate your own mortality, which is something that yeah. I don't want to spend too much time thinking about. So I like I love the idea of like a big celebration of like a milestone birthday or something that's not pinned to a wedding or a baby. So like I love the general idea. But, like, I, I don't know how comfortable I am with the idea of a living wake. What, what about you? I feel about it how I felt about my wedding, which is, like, I just relish the idea of being in control of all details. Like, mm. I choose the music. I choose the slideshow photos. I choose what I'm wearing. But As opposed in the to moment, all those other times when everyone else decides what you're wearing. <laughs> Well, no, but I'm assuming that if I was dead, I wouldn't get to choose. Oh, my yeah. Okay. Outfit. That's fair. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Although I could write this down, but much like you, I don't have the interest in contemplating this. But, but like a wedding, I think like once it came to the moment where everyone was looking at me and like crying or whatever, I'd be like, this is my nightmare. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe like a virtual living wake would be good. Oh, God. Like, it's bringing me back to early COVID of, like, Zoom baby showers. Oh, Come no, on to Zoom and say nice things about me. I take that back. But, I mean, I get yeah, yeah. I get the sentiment of, like, celebrate people while they're still alive. Like, I, I do generally support that. But I would like to find a way to do it that isn't so entangled in mortality. I know. Is there even a way to do that, though? Maybe that is the exact reason why we don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that makes it easier, though. I don't know. What did you think about the format, which kind of surprised me? And it was like, I guess, like, part novel, part like anthrop like a book within a book, mm -hmm. an anthropological book within a book. Did you like that? Did it confuse you? Well, I thought it was really interesting how the more... 
historical asides, both relating to their childhood and upbringing, and then also Ona's own interruptions to like talk about the history of things was really interesting. And especially as somebody who did not grow up within the Dominican culture and like does not have all of the context that maybe one would have if one grew up in this culture, I thought that it was like a really interesting way to insert that, give that to the reader without like info dumping at you. Like it felt Mm -hmm. a really interesting plot device. So I really liked that. I will confess that I I had trouble sometimes tracking both the different characters, but then also I do feel like there was some moving back and forth in time, even within the past timeline, where you're like, oh, like I had a lot of trouble relating to what the sisters' relative ages were. Yeah, yes, I would agree with that. Um, so I did, I did like it. I thought it was inventive. I did sometimes feel confused. Yeah, I think that's fair. In terms of the ending, I was also a little bit confused or it felt a little bit abrupt for me, but maybe I missed something or I was like one too many drinks poolside in by that point. I'm not sure. Like, is your interpretation of it that she just died or? Yeah, she foresaw her own death. What? Tell me more about your feelings. So I think maybe my confusion was I kind of kept expecting the plot twist to be that she actually foresaw someone else's death. Oh. And so it was all like a ruse. Ruse? Is that a word? Mm -hmm. It was all like this plot to like bring the family together for that other person. And so that was going to be the reveal of the end. Even though that doesn't really seem to fit with like what I now know of Elizabeth Acevedo's like writing style and stuff. But, um... I felt it was uh, yeah. I felt fairly certain based on the early chapter where Floor watches the documentary about living wakes and gets this idea, and then at the end of where it, it does seem like that, like she's like, oh, this would just be a fun thing to do to bring the family together. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of that chapter, I feel like she talks about having a dream, and then the name that comes out of the ether is her own. And so I did feel fairly right. certain that she was going <laughs> that to die. I wasn't sure quite what like the limits were on how far she could foresee someone's death so I wasn't I I wasn't necessarily expecting her to go home and die that night Mm -hmm. but I did I did feel pretty certain that she was going to to die I guess I was maybe well I was surprised that the wake happened so late in the book like literally Mm -hmm. the last 50 Mm -hmm. pages and I was surprised there wasn't more drama there you know like it was like it was very positive and lovely, which is great. And maybe Floor, it wasn't quite what Floor expected, but like I I don't know if I was expecting some big fight or some like showdown or something. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess there was with like the girlfriend, right? Or the the horrible husband. Isn't there like a fight and someone throws a drink on someone else or something? But anyway, it's not very like explosive. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. It doesn't take up as much of the book as I anticipated at all. Yeah. But I wasn't surprised that she died and I wasn't surprised that she was right. Like I, I said earlier, mm-hmm. like I felt like I experienced her power as very literal. So there was no point where I was like, Oh, this is hogwash. And like, yeah, I guess I was thinking like the fact that she's being so cagey about it must mean something. Well, just you spare it... the ones you love from. Right. From that direct knowledge. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting as well how seemingly, I mean, so the 
the grandmother passed Yachty when she died her love of limes and like that taste and magic. And it seemed like what was being implied was that Floor died at the same time that Ona, her daughter, mm-hmm. was becoming pregnant. And so like there was like another transfer of like life power or something. And so I, I mm-hmm. did like like the full circleness of that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I kind of forgot about that, actually. But you're right. Yeah. Well, let's move on to some end matter. What are you obsessed with right now? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't know if you have watched my obsession. I'm obsessed with a red, white, and royal blue movie on Amazon Prime. Did you read this book or I, have you seen the movie? I have not read the book. I have not watched the movie, though I feel like I have through social media. But I will at some point. I was delighted. I've heard mixed feedback, and I... Loved it. I feel like this renewed my faith in adaptations, that we can do book adaptations well. Like, is it going to win an Oscar? No. But, like, it was this, It was so faithfully the spirit of the book. It was so fun. It didn't feel like a take-your-medicine type, mm-hmm. like, story. I adored it. Oh, good. I've heard mostly good things. Like, I loved the book, too, but I... Sort of bad, but good is what I feel like I've heard well somebody I know in person was like they didn't think the acting was that good and I was like oh I thought the acting was so much better than I expected so maybe it's just that Mm -hmm. I came in with like weird expectations I got so many dms telling me yes I know that the the same actor who plays Prince Henry is also going to be Hayes Campbell in the idea of you adaptation I have no thoughts until I see the movie he was a much better actor than I expected I'm more hopeful than I ever have been I don't know I don't know what to tell people but um (laughs) Yeah, maybe I just went in with low expectations, but I was delighted. Well, great. What about you? What is your obsession? My obsession is this handheld fan from Amazon that, like, so when I first got to Mexico, I was there with my two friends, and Jake was going to meet me a couple days later. And I texted him, like, immediately, and I was like, I don't care what you have to do. Get some sort of portable wireless fan and bring it immediately so he spent like $80 on Amazon on fans I was like I cannot emphasize to you enough how hot it is um and he showed up with this handheld fan I brought it with me everywhere was it a mister fan no no it's just like a normal little fan um but you can set it on the table you can adjust the little thing I saw uh, my sister made me buy it post about this she actually told me to bring one to EPM she had been there in July and was like, you should bring one. And I was like, no, no, it's fine. Um, I was an idiot. So anyway, just highly recommend. Like, I'm going to bring it with me on planes because I hate sweating. I hate being hot. Um, I it's saw a hell. girl with one of these on the subway the other day. Genius. Genius. And it, was, I, I, it was like rush hour. And I happened to mm. get into a car with no air conditioning. And it was like, Am I going to get off at another stop and try another car? They're also packed. And like this girl was just like everyone else is sweating and she looked cool as a cucumber. I I felt so powerful the rest of the trip. Like everyone looked at me and either judged me or envied me, but I choose to believe they were envying me. Anyway, recommend. What have you read? I've read a lot. It's been two weeks since we recorded, so I have a lot to tell you. Um, I'll try to go quick. I finished You Again by Kate Goldbeck, which comes out September 12th. Loved it. Emily Henry for bad people is all you need to know. <laughs> Very New York-y. It's pitched as a When Harry Met Sally retelling. I don't know if I agree with that, but fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, good. I'm really curious 
how it will be received because it is very spiky, but I like that. What do you mean? The characters are very like spiky and oh, okay. somewhat unlikable. Not... Got it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But like great banter, really fun. The second thing I read was The Wishing Game by Meg Schaefer. And I thought about making this our book club pick because it's my pick for September solely because of this one passage that I feel like you as a human being, Olivia, <laughs> will react to so strongly. Oh, I'm so curious now. But I ultimately decided against it. So it is the story of, it's kind of like two uh, overlapping stories. And in one, it's about this kind of broke teacher's aide who is trying to adopt one of her former students whose parents have died under tragic circumstances. And uh, in the second timeline, or not in the second timeline, in the second point of view, the second story, it's about this guy who is the illustrator of these famous children's books. And the man who writes the famous children's books lives on this like island. It's very Willy Wonka-esque. And he holds this contest for select few people to come to the island to win the only manuscript of his like last book. Mm -hmm. And so the the woman who's trying to adopt the kid ends up going to the island and the two intersect. But um, it felt magical. There, it's not a magic book, but it did feel magical. And it felt like so much of it was about like the magic of reading. Like it made me really weepy just thinking about like the power of books when you're a kid and yeah. like books as an escape. And it was really lovely. This sounds so good. It was really lovely. You had me at like Willy Wonka-esque island. Like I Olivia. love an island. I don't know why. I just like, I like the idea that there's nothing but you and it, you can be as weird as you want. So I'm. Um, the island's also in Maine. I'm in. I'm in. I, I'm done. I highlighted this section. I didn't send it to you because I want you to like be able to experience it fresh. But like Olivia. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can guess which one it is. Do you, you think I can? You will be able to. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yay. Yeah. I'm so excited. I also cried multiple times during this book. So if you need oh. like a cathartic cry. Nice. It reminded me a little of um, House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klune. So like if you liked that, you should read this. Okay. Okay. Then I read Rain by Catherine McGee, which is the fourth book in the American Royals series, which came out when this airs yesterday. It comes out August 30th, 29th, whatever that Tuesday is. I really enjoyed this. I mean, I have enjoyed this whole series and I felt like this was like an example of she did right by all the characters. Like everyone came back for cameos. Like it felt so satisfying. I really liked what she did with the kind of like four, well, three out of four point of view characters. I was like, yes, I was like, oh, reading this book was so fulfilling for me. So if you've been reading this series all along, I think you're going to be really happy with how everything wraps up. And if you hadn't read the series, like I'm here to tell you that it doesn't, it doesn't end in a disappointing way. Good. And then I read Family Lore. It's the last one. It's the last one. You said it's the last one Mm -hmm. in the series. Okay. Then I read this book. But tell me what you've read on the beach. I also read Family Lore. I'm kind of splitting books between our next two episodes. So I won't, won't go over everything I read on vacation, but some of them. Um, I also finished Meet Me at the Lake by Carly Fortune. I really enjoyed this. I wanted to be in a cabin by a lake so badly while reading this, like so badly. Nobody does setting like Carly Fortune. Nobody does. Um, oh man, just 
so, so badly. Um, I enjoyed it immensely. And I also read The Spare Room by Andrea Bartz, which is a thriller um, that is about a woman who she's like kind of on a break in her relationship. It's mid pandemic and she is randomly invited to stay with this couple and kind of like create a pandemic pod together. And I don't really want to give too much away. You can maybe guess where it's going <laughs> in some ways. This is the very spicy. If you oh. if you love a spicy thriller, it is spicy. It gave me Verity vibes mm. a little bit in terms of the spice level. That's all I will say. That's all I will say. It was just like a very fun beach read. Okay. Very fun wild ride uh, with some spice. Well, maybe if you're listening, maybe you're wondering... If I didn't choose the wishing game for September Book Club, what did I choose? Uh, oh, also, spoiler, I don't know if I've said this. We're going to do my book for our November Book Club pick. People were like, are you going to pick it for September? And I'm like, it doesn't come out until the 26th. Like, the Book Club episode goes live the next day. So we're going to talk about it in November. So don't worry, we will cover it, but not in September. But our Book Club pick is going to be Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. I am like three quarters of the way through this book, and I am loving it. And I feel like this is going to be the book club book of the fall. So I feel like a lot of people will be doing it for their in-person book club. I'm so excited to talk about it. Also, Meryl Streep reads the audiobook <laughs> as if you need I've heard this. any more incentive. And I've heard it's fantastic. I'm reading it with my eyes this time, but I'm going to do the audio for pre-book club. So the book is about a woman in her 50s. It's set during COVID. It's not very like triggering COVID-y to me at least. COVID is very much in the background. And her three grown daughters are all home from college and grad school on the farm where they were raised in Michigan, helping with the cherry harvest for the year. And while they're harvesting the cherries, their mom, who is the point of view character, is telling them the story of how she dated this like very famous actor when she was in her early 20s. And the story is like told in kind of like deep flashbacks of like her living that time and then also the present when they're harvesting the cherries. And the book is so fantastic. It is so it is both so enjoyable, but also has so much to say, which I feel like is such a rare combo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm um looking for I was hoping you would pick this. I'm looking forward to this so much. Everyone that I have seen who's read it. So many people are like, I love Demon Copperhead. I loved Hello Beautiful. And I love this. And those are two of my other favorite books of, that I've read this year. I just like, I know in my heart of hearts that I'm going to adore this. And I'm so excited. Well, also, I mean, you compare it to Demon Copperhead, but Demon Copperhead is like 500 and some pages. Like this is a very yeah. thin book. Like I think it's around it 300. Is. So, and it moves. So I, I am so excited for us all to talk about this. It very much has a lot to say about mother-daughter relationships, about what we envision success as when we're younger and how that translates to when we're older. Um, it has a lot to say about legacy. Like I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yay. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So that's what we've got for you. Next week, we have Dan Pelosi of Grossy Pelosi talking about his cookbook. In the meantime... You can come chat with us in the Facebook group. I'm living for all the conversation about last week's three things, especially the 2013 fashion thread. Love it. Oh, I love our Facebook group. We all looked so good. <laughs> Questionable. 
Um, <laughs> you can also follow us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. Also, now that we are inside one month from when my book comes out, I will tell you to please, please pre-order it. Um, it's less than a month away, and it is truly the most impactful thing you can do. It doesn't matter where you buy it from. doesn't matter what format. If you're in a position to and you enjoy this podcast, that is the thing you can do to support me. Yes, and it takes five seconds. Mm-hmm. And it makes a huge impact, so I second that. And I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.